So shares in the US continue to rise as Janet Yellen continues to push for Joe Biden's stimulus package. Just don't worry, it is Tuesday morning. This isn't a rerun of yesterday's podcast. It's just the same old stories going round and round. Oil is at a post-pandemic high today. The cold weather in Europe and America might have a bit to do with that. The Aussie dollar is doing well as well. WA's budget surplus is doing even better. And it's the NAB Business Survey today. It's Tuesday, the 9th of February, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, we have big rises in U.S. equities, a 0.5% rise in the Nasdaq, 0.4% for the Dow and the S&P 500, which uh, hit an all-time high in this session. The FTSE 100 also up half a percent. The same with the CAC 40 and the Eurostox 50 is up 0.3%. Another slight fall in the U.S. dollar today. Not much, though. In fact, currency markets are fairly quiet. We've got the Aussie dollar up a third of 1%. It's over 77 U.S. cents now. That is actually one of the biggest movers overnight, believe it or not. Ten-year treasuries down a little, though. They were higher. 30 years rose and topped 2% for the first time in a year, but they're back down to 1.94% now. And oil up almost 2% for Brent and WTI. Brent is over $60 now, and WTI is not far behind. Tapper Strickland is NAB's Director Economics for Markets, based in Sydney. He joins me this morning. So stocks are having a bit of a run of it right now, aren't they, in the United States? Six days in a row they've been up, and those oil prices, there's clearly a, a bit of optimism in the air. Earnings might have a bit to do with it as far as uh, equities are concerned. But th- this is the reflation trade, isn't it? We've got banks, transport, smaller businesses all doing well and emerging markets. And we've seen that rise in the Aussie as well today. Good morning, Phil. Yes, as we started 2021, it does look like our markets have embraced uh, this reflation trade fully uh, on expectations of pretty aggressive US fiscal stimulus. Uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen was on the news on Sunday night in the US saying that the US could return to full employment by 2022. Uh, and you compare that to uh, CBO projections, which uh, suggested without any additional stimulus, could take until 2025 to send the unemployment rate back down to 4%. Uh, so uh, there is some suggestion that maybe that recovery is being being pulled forward uh, by at least three years if uh, this $1.9 trillion stimulus plan can be passed. It looks like uh, Democrats will be using budget reconciliation uh, to pass that. And uh, it could it could go to the Senate um, by early March. So here we've got Janet Yellen on the one side talking it all down, saying inflation is not a concern. It's not, it's not going to happen. On the other side, we've got markets being buoyed by the fact that, you know, Janet Yellen probably will get away and Joe Biden's package will proceed. But we've also got inflation expectations, you know, have been rising. We look at that spread between uh, yields for conventional and index-linked government bonds. They've been rising now at the highest they've been for a while. So people are expect people want it, but they are also expecting it's going to be inflationary, clearly. Yes, uh, people are expecting the, the possibility of the stimulus being, being inflation. There's been a number of different opinion pieces within uh, various newspapers suggesting uh, that value of the stimulus could be inflationary to the US outlook. Uh, that 10-year implied break-even is sitting at about 2.2%. It didn't really move overnight, but importantly, did hold on to Friday's moves. Uh, and is it is interesting that uh, while market expectations of inflation have lifted, consumer inflation expectations haven't really lifted by that much in the US. So there does seem to be a little bit of discrepancy between what markets are fearing and what our consumers are at least expecting. And on the back of that, the Fed's bargain, um 
gave an opinion piece in the FT overnight, uh, shrugging off concerns that uh, such fiscal stimulus could generate a jump in inflation. Uh, he said there's still very strong disinflationary forces, including globalization and technology that would help keep prices subdued. And I remember you were making this point with Rodrigo is that, uh, yes, the $1.9 trillion stimulus is likely to induce a lot of demand, but the reopening of the economy should also see the supply side of the economy also rebound as well. And it looks like households right around the world have really consumed a lot in terms of goods and that uh, as you do ease those restrictions, once those vaccines get rolled out, it's likely the services side of the economy will bounce back and uh, the services supply should bounce back given uh, those restrictions are likely to be eased yeah, at some point. Which put pays, puts point paid to one of those points that Larry Summers was making. I and mean, He was saying, well, why why do this now? Because the, there's lots of people have savings and people haven't been able to spend it because of the lockdown. So do we need it? You know, it's, it, won't it all go straight to the stock market for, for many people? But if if uh, more and more uh, shops are reopening, we're starting to see more reopening now in New York, for example, then that sort of puts pay to that point, doesn't it? Maybe the t- by the time they've done it, you'd hope, by the time the money is in people's bank accounts, you'd hope stores are open again and people are able to spend. Uh, definitely. But if you go uh, by Yellen's argument, I think uh, any policymaker would try and reduce unemployment uh, a lot quicker than uh, it's currently forecasted. If it takes until 2025 to get back to where you were prior to the pandemic in terms of the labour market, uh, that's a very prolonged recovery. If you can get there by the end of uh, 2022, uh, then I think most policymakers would take that option. Uh, But no doubt uh, that story has been the major driver of markets over the past uh, couple of days. Uh, And just on the back of that, um, uh, a lot of people revising their forecasts for US uh, 10-year yields. So uh, the US 10-year yield reached a high of 1.1981% overnight. And and although the 10-year yield was was unchanged, Amongst in the derivative space, uh, swaptions traders are now pricing a more than 45% chance of uh, Treasury yields exceeding 1.25% and a 43% chance of it rising past 1.30%. Uh, so no doubt uh, some in the street will be also lifting up their um, expectations for US 10-year yields. And well. oil, uh, I think there's a few things playing on oil, isn't it? But they're, they're, the price now is uh, it has topped pre-pandemic levels. So I mean, the longer term, obviously, it's the prospect of uh, more people traveling. The midterm, that we've got the, the cuts from the Saudis and the, the short term is it's flipping cold in the US and in Europe right now. So everyone's got the heating turned up. Uh, definitely. So confluence of factors there. Uh, and the main driver in a secular sense uh, has been that uh, global rebound in demand and ex- expectations of a pretty sharp rebound in demand as uh, those vaccines get rolled out. Now, uh, this is for amusement more than anything else, I mean, but it seems like a risky strategy. Elon Musk has bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin through Tesla. So it's going to sit on the uh, the Tesla balance sheet. I, I wonder what, uh, well, I, I, you know, d- Tesla investors, I thought, you know, I was wondering what would they think about it? But the share price uh, hasn't been hit too much uh, either way today, really, not a lot of movement. And yet you look at the movement in, in Tesla shares over the last year and how much it's risen. And then you think you've got the risk of, is that overblown? Then you've got the risk of the fact that they have 1.5 billion Bitcoin sitting on their balance sheet as well now. Uh, it, it it looks like a, a double risk to me. What do you reckon? It, it was a pretty spectacular move by Tesla. So Tesla has invested $1.5 billion in that cryptocurrency. And Bitcoin, I think, overnight reached a record high of $43,000. Um, so definitely people are taking notice of our Tesla's in investment there. And at least in terms of a, of a justification, uh, it said it was going to start accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment in 
the future. I think Elon Musk uh, also has um, a bit of favoritism towards the cryptocurrency space. And he has been tweeting a little bit about Dogecoin recently, uh, and that uh, boosted uh, its market cap to over $10 billion, um, I think, overnight as well. So it does look like uh, he's a supporter of uh, cryptocurrency, and it looks like Tesla is investing in it as well. Now, uh, Japan. Let's visit Japan very briefly. Uh, we, we mentioned yesterday the Economy Watchers survey, which has been out uh, uh, in the last 24 hours, uh, respondents' view of the current economy is down 31.2. 50 is neutral, so that's pretty pessimistic. And, and similarly, the the outlook is 39.9 in November. It's 47.7. So it doesn't look like things are going backwards, really, doesn't it? And yet the uh, the topics index in Japan has risen 1.8%. It's actually at its highest level since 1991. Uh, so uh, mixed answers, mixed results coming from uh, from Japan. Of course, they've got the Olympics just around the corner as well, and that question mark as to whether they're still going to go ahead. Or uh, not. They do. One one way we could square the story in Japan is they have had a, a virus outbreak, but at the same time, they're not implementing their vaccination plans until, I think, uh, late February. So they're on a similar timescale to, to Australia. So near-term conditions in Japan uh, aren't all that great, uh, but you still have that uh, longer-term optimistic possibility, and that is definitely um, helping lift stocks. Yeah. All right. Now, I mentioned vaccines. Let's look at those because 33 million vaccines rolled out in the US now, 12.3 million in the UK, but South Africa has suspended the rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine because a small sample has showed it has only 10% efficacy against the South African strain of the, the virus. The UK Health Minister has said this afternoon uh, in the UK, that, or yesterday afternoon I should say, that uh, that they're not too concerned because that's not a dominant strain in the UK and they can have a booster vaccine later in the year uh, and in any case it's going to protect people against serious illness and, and death. So that's mixed news but generally good news from Israel isn't it? We're, and they are further down the road obviously than anyone else. Uh, definitely. Yeah. So we uh, wrote a piece uh, late yesterday going through uh, the vaccine rollout in, in Israel, and it is looking very favorable, particularly for those who are over 60 years. I think they've vaccinated, uh, fully vaccinated about 80% of those people aged over the age of 60. And you've seen a dramatic fall in new virus cases amongst that population group and a dramatic fall in hospitalizations as well. So it does suggest uh, that Israel being the basically the test case of the world in terms of the vaccination rollout is proving to be successful. And then markets so far at least are justified in their view of a more optimistic scenario in the next couple of months or so. Just worth noting that Israel is using the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, and uh, that has shown a high degree of efficacy against the UK mutation, and uh, still a fairly high degree of efficacy against the South African mutation. The AstraZeneca uh, findings are are a little bit of a concern, uh, but again, based on the small sample size, it's hard to know exactly uh, whether the findings are robust. But it also probably does highlight that COVID-19 as, as, as a disease is likely here to stay. And uh, very similar to how the flu vaccination program is done every year, it's likely that vaccines will have to be tweaked every year to keep up with mutations within the virus. Now, today, uh, Italian industrial production, by the way, speaking of Italy, uh, Mario Draghi, the talk's continuing quite well, I think, for him forming government. I mean, there's even uh, talk now from from some people in some of the parties that, you know, they should uh, also move him on to president next year after they've uh, had an election. So they've all, all got it worked out for him. Uh, we've also got the German balance of trade. And uh, perhaps more importantly, we get Austra- uh, for Australia, we get China's 
aggregate fin- financing for, for January, don't we, today? Yes, yeah, so those are aggregate financing figures are due um, from any time today over the next five days. So it may or may not uh, be published today, uh, but they'll likely be looked at quite closely just given um, the weaker than expected PMIs that we saw in January, along with recent comments by at least one PBOC advisor warning of the need for policy to be adjusted to ward off the risk of asset bubbles. Um, so it does look like, uh, well, and there was at one stage a little bit of tightening in the interbank market as well. So uh, I think that will uh, definitely be worth keeping an eye out for. Uh, aside from that, there isn't a lot of uh, data coming out today. In the US, we get jolts, uh, the NFIB and the Fed's bullard. And at home, well, except, of course, we've we've got the NAB business survey out this morning. We don't know what's in it, but, I mean, we'd hope that, uh, uh, seeming as things are heading in the right direction, we see an improvement in business conditions and uh, an improvement in business confidence. But, look, what about WA, uh, you know, the envy of the world? Actually, here we have one government that actually has uh, is heading towards an election and has a trade surplus. Unheard of. It, it is amazing that the WA pre-election financial projection says the state is on track for a $3.1 billion surplus, up from a $2.2 billion forecast in December. And a lot of that revenue uplift has come on the back of a, a higher than expected iron ore price. It does suggest that the WA economy is... Uh, performing relatively well, uh, especially during the pandemic there. And just worth noting that WA is heading to the polls on March 13. Uh, also in the Australian press, there's a lot more talk about uh, JobSeeker and the fact that the current level of JobSeeker is hampering hiring in the lower wage sectors. Mm. All right. Well, that's one to watch. And uh, we will also watch what happens with the stimulus package in the US today. And uh, we'll probably watch US shares rise steadily higher again. Good to talk, Tefas. Catch you again very soon. Great. Thanks, Phil. And that's it for this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Darby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.